Hello and welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show. I am your host, Daryl Rutt. This is going to be the first episode I am producing on my new computer system, MX Linux. So hopefully I don't have too many glitches in the production of this. So bear with me if there are any. Today I'm going to be covering student loans, police record transparency, cybersecurity, and more however before i get to that i would appreciate if you would help support this show by liking and subscribing to whatever platform you are listening on you can also make a donation to the show all you have to do is visit dakotarustler.org for all things related to the show and to help keeping it on the air thank you in advance with that said let's get into the stories Number one, many Americans are worried about having to start paying their student loans again. For some, it might mean getting a second job and cutting back on their spending, including dining out less or not buying name brand goods and foods when shopping. Aww, cry me a river. If not for COVID and a giveaway the farm president, you would have had to have been making these payments all along, something you should have thought of before taking out such massive loans. In addition, in addition, you should have been bright enough to know interest would keep building up even when payments are paused. After all, smart people go to college, right? You're supposed to be one of the smart ones. The fretting comes with the official ending of the more than three-year pause on student loan payments. Rochelle Brooks, an administrator at an L.A. charter high school and mother of two teens, stated, quote, We can't afford to live as it is, and making those payments will be that much harder. I'm already overextended. There can't be any more cuts in my household, unquote. Sorry. But over my work career, I've been in thousands of homes over 40 years. Trust me, I can find cuts that you can make. Brooks borrowed $203,000 for her undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral studies, adding more than $30,000 in continuing interest. The pause in payments during the COVID-19 pandemic was a blessing for Brooks, and it gave her a sense of relief and hope, she said. Uh, no, it gave you a presence of stupidity. Once again, another example of the dumbing down of society. When loan payments restart, Brooks calculates her monthly payment will be about $600. That's on top of about $4,500 in rent, a car note, and auto insurance. You know, she earns over $100,000 a year. $600 on top of $4,500 a month is $5,100, or about $61,000 per year. After taxes, she should be in fine shape. Maybe she needs to find a place to live that doesn't cost as much. For the past three years, Brooks has been politically active as a member of Debt Collective, a national union of workers from all backgrounds lobbying lawmakers to cancel student debt. 
In other words, be irresponsible scumbags. Hell, maybe I should go buy a $200,000 house I can't afford and ask if this idiot Brooks lady minds forgiving my payments out of her own money. Understand one thing, people. The government is not a separate entity. It all comes from the taxpayers, many of whom make less than you. Enough of this stupidity. Number two, California Governor Gavin Newsom's administration has proposed an end to public disclosure of investigations of abusive and corrupt political officers, handling the responsibility instead to local agencies in an effort to help cover an estimated $31 billion budget deficit. So in other words, if one wants to find out who all the crooked and scumbag police are, you would have to visit every locale in the state of California instead of just going to one main state site. The proposal has prompted strong criticism from a coalition of criminal justice and press freedom groups which spent years pushing for the disclosure rules that were part of a landmark law Newsom himself signed in 2021. So in other words, Newsom is going back on his own laws to keep police officers on the up and up. The law allows the State Commission on Police Officer Standards and Training to investigate and decertify police officers for misconduct, such as use of excessive force, sexual assault, and dishonesty. It requires the Commission to make public the records of decertification cases. The Newsom administration now wants to get rid of that transparency element. The Commission says the public could still get the records from police departments, however, advocates say local police departments often resist releasing that information, which means they have to file you know, Freedom of Information Act if they want to find out anything. Removing the transparency element would continue eroding public trust, according to Antioch Mayor Tamisha Torres Walker. The city was shaken after a federal investigation found more than half of the officers in the Antioch police force were in a group text where some officers freely used racial slurs and bragged about fabricating evidence and beating suspects. Did I not just do a special report last week on a group of racist, abusive scumbags known as the Minneapolis Police Department, what Newsom proposes would be a virtual free ticket for California police departments to be identical scumbags. For the record, according to a May budget request, the commission estimated it will handle up to 3,500 decertification cases each year. That's about 4% of all officers in California. The commission has suspended or decertified 44 police officers so far this year. Why do citizens deserve such transparency? 
because disclosure of records pertain to police misconduct such as excessive force, sexual assault, and dishonesty. That law was expanded in 2021 to include the release of investigations into police racist or biased behavior, unlawful searches or arrests, and use of unreasonable force. That's why it's needed. But apparently Governor Newsom doesn't want any of that to be revealed. Number three, an American push to establish green shipping corridors is key to reducing carbon emissions from the shipping industry, according to Transportation Secretary U.S. Buttigieg. Buttigieg was in Japan to attend a meeting of transport ministers who reaffirmed a commitment to reducing emissions from the transport industry and to keeping navigation free and open in the Asia-Pacific region. Emissions from maritime transport account for about 3% of total global emissions from human activities. About 90% of all traded goods are moved by sea, something I didn't know. And maritime trade volumes are expected to triple by 2050. Studies predict the industry's share of greenhouse gas emissions could reach 15%. The International Maritime Organization, which regulates commercial shipping, wants to have its greenhouse gas releases by mid-century. The Port of Los Angeles signed an agreement in March with port authorities of Yokohama and Tokyo to establish the so-called green shipping corridors, aiming to promote emissions reductions through use of net zero emissions vessels and other efforts to reduce the flow of greenhouse gas from ports and shipping. What I want to know is, what is a net zero emissions vessel? Nuclear? Hydrogen? Well, here may be your answer. Japan is working to reduce fossil fuel use and promote hydrogen and ammonia as alternative fuels. Yokohama plans to build a terminal for ships to import hydrogen, officials said. Similar initiatives are being promoted in the U.S. ports, Buttigieg said, adding that Japanese leadership in developing hydrogen as fuel is going to be a big part of the future. Uh, wasn't the Hindenburg filled with hydrogen? Just saying, we don't need more explosives like uh, lithium-ion batteries can be. Japan aims to achieve carbon neutrality in by 2050 with a goal of becoming a hydrogen society. But it's hydrogen industry is still in its initial stages and still mostly reliant on hydrogen produced by wait for it using fossil fuels yokohama is in the midst of a blue carbon infrastructure project that features promoting coastal structures like seawalls that can serve as habitat for marine life while absorbing planet warming gases emitted by the port there are also efforts to increase efficiency by accelerating use of remote-controlled cranes and autonomous-driven trailers. That sounds like a good idea, and those things would reduce waiting times for truck drivers and also reduce emissions. With that said, it's time to take a break, but don't go away when I come back. More Horse Sense. 
For all things Dakota Rustler related, please visit dakotarustler.org. The website contains links to media sites, a merchandise store, and a button to donate to the show. Your support helps to pay for expenses of production, as well as research time. Feedback is appreciated, and comments or topic ideas can be sent to the email address listed on the website. Sponsorships are also available if you have a business to promote. Now, back to the show. Hello, welcome back to the Dakota Rustler Show. Two more stories to go. However, before I get to those, just a gentle reminder and a shout out to Dan Heim and to Vinnie Camilleri, who provide the music for this show free of cost. And also to Arbel Kimmick, who does all the voiceovers for the show. With that said, let's get right into the next topic. Number four, the Supreme Court, by a six to three majority rule, ruled against a man by the name of Marcus Jones, who was given a 27 year prison sentence for violating a federal law meant to keep guns out of the hands of people with previous criminal convictions. Jones had argued that he should be allowed another chance to get his conviction thrown out following a 2019 court decision. In that case, the justices ruled prosecutors must prove that people charged with violating federal gun laws knew they were not allowed to have a weapon. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote for the court that people who have used up their appeals don't get another day in court based solely on a more favorable interpretation of statutory law, those being the key words, statutory law, adopted after his conviction became final. Only two instances newly discovered evidence or the court's new interpretation of a constitutional provision authorize a second bite at the apple under a 1996 federal law meant to limit federal appeals. So maybe instead, this guy, instead of looking to have it overturned, should seek a pardon. Jones was convicted in 2000 for being a felon in possession of a gun. His lawyers argued he thought his record had been cleared and no longer was prohibited from having a gun. You know, I've searched on numerous sites to find out what his original crime was, which made him a felon to begin with. Not one article I found has made mention of it. It may be out there somewhere, but I didn't find it after going through about six or seven sources. But let me give you my opinion on felons and guns. If the original crime was a felony that did not involve a gun or use of another weapon of violence, felons should be allowed to get their gun rights back once they have finished serving their time. One's time is their punishment. One should not have to endure further punishment. One bad decision, especially if one is young, should not require a lifetime denial of a right unless the original crime was of blatant violence. And for the record, I also think felons should be allowed to vote. What does any crime have to do with voting for an elected official? None that should make a difference, 
I don't think. You'd have a hard time convincing me. Number five, Google CEO Sundar Pichai, 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 pronounce it how you want, pledged 20 million in donations to expand the consortium cybersecurity clinics to introduce thousands of students to careers in cybersecurity, while also helping defend small government offices, rural hospitals, and nonprofits from hacking. Cyber attacks are up 38% globally last year, and there aren't enough people trained to stop them. The tech giant launched the Google Cybersecurity Certificate Program last month to help prepare people for entry-level cybersecurity jobs. It also partnered with universities in New York on a research program to create learning opportunities across the cybersecurity sector. This all sounds good so far, like candy canes at Christmas, but keep listening. Quote, making sure we protect and safeguard both the consumer services and the enterprise services we provide is foundational to the company, which is why we treat it as such. We've been building security from the ground up for a long time and training to innovate and stay ahead, unquote. What a load of horse crap. This comes from a company that gathers your data like a starving person looks at donuts. Then that same company turns around and sells it to any data broker willing to pay for the info. Google and cybersecurity is an oxymoron. Cybersecurity is almost completely worthless when those providing it sell everything about you that it can gather. Republican Representative Jay Obernolte of California said addressing cyber threats is essential to the country's economic competitiveness as well as national security. Quote, we need to incentivize students to pursue careers in fields like cyber, cybersecurity to reverse that trend. Unquote. PGI said there are currently more than 650,000 open cybersecurity jobs. Justin Steele, director of Google.org, said the initiative appealed to his team because it seeks projects where the funding can spawn change on multiple levels. Cybersecurity clinics will have students help small organizations that lack their own technology departments with threat assessments and installing defenses. While many groups think there is nothing they can do against a state-supported hacker or ransomware attacks, the clinics can offer low-level solutions that can combat a large number of threats. Mark Lupo, coordinator of the University of Georgia's clinic, sums up the problem quite well. He states, quote, we have continued as a society to bring more of our sensitive information online so that vulnerability has only increased. The malicious actors understand that sensitive data can be monetized. Now that there's money there, they are going to gravitate towards that. So here's a novel idea. Quit putting every damn effing thing online. Are you stupid? doesn't take a genius to figure that out. 
I fear big tech sharing my data far more than any hacker trying to steal my data, mostly because I do research on how to protect it. When Google and Microsoft gather your data and sell it, they're only helping to make your data more exposed by having it in more places for more hackers to hack into. Ban data sharing. CEOs of companies that sell data need to sit in jail, but they won't until we ban it. Do it now, Congress. Get it done. Ban it. With that, you know the motto, question authority and always be free. Thank you for listening to the Dakota Rustler Show, a production of DL Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their affiliates. Any unauthorized use of this show is prohibited. Until next time, have a great day and don't forget to subscribe.